The Garden Clinic digs deeper with Graham and Sandra Ross. Welcome to The Garden Clinic digs deeper. This time we're looking at Lilliums, one of those amazing bulbs that has almost disappeared into obscurity but come back again to the, uh, to the fore. When I was a young fellow, we used to grow Lilliums and the only one that you could actually get your hands on was the orange tiger lily. It was tough and hardy and always reliable. I'm not quite sure why they fell out of favour, maybe just because other plants became more popular and they tended to disappear with other bulbs becoming more popular. But today, certainly, the Lilliums are making a huge comeback. I think you see them a lot in florists, don't you? That's where most people see them. You see them. They buy them in bud and they bring them home. And of course, you know, in a vase, they just last for such a long time and they gradually open and then this amazing fragrance fills the house for really for up to two weeks. Very good value. They're good value. They can be uh, expensive and I think that's maybe given the impression to a lot of non-gardeners that they're an expensive bulb and maybe difficult to grow. But like a lot of orchids today and a lot of plants that, that were considered to be hard to grow 40, 50 years ago, today the new hybrids have taken us into a whole new world. But there's a, still a bit of confusion about the word lily. <laughs> well, yes, a lot of plants are called lily, aren't they? Look, the, the calla lily, Xantodesia, is not really a lily. The day lily, <laughs> Hemerocallus, is not really a lily. And the water lily, Nymphaea, is not a lily. But they've all borrowed the name lily because it's sort of... Well, it sort of looks... <laughs> it's, the flower shape is similar, I guess, but they're all pretty much unrelated, even though maybe their families are related, the plants themselves are not. And the way that they grow is so, so easy. So of all the plants, you know, as you say, they're categorised in the lilium genus. So lilies, the true lily, are lilium. Um, and there's lots of different types, as you mentioned, tiger lilies, November lilies, you might know them, beautiful, tall, white November lilies, trumpet lilies or oriental lilies are the big, tall, fragrant lilies, and the shorter ones, the Asiatics, are sort of more colourful. So lots of different types of lilies or lilium, and as you say, lots of hybrids between them. What we've seen, I think, over the last maybe 40 years is as... Different countries, Japan in particular, it grows a lot of plants in pots, small pots, uh, and they're used as decoration within the home or at the front door of the house. The Dutch grow them again uh, as indoor display. But for the rest of us, the English, the French, the Italians and the Aussies uh, and the Americans, we tend to grow them uh, in the garden. We tend to grow them in much bigger spaces. And as a consequence, we can grow bigger plants, not these little, you know, the small acute ones. But the interesting point, as you indicate, they've been hybridised, a lot have been crossing. So it's getting a little bit harder to be 100% accurate what species you might have because they've crossed one species with another to get maybe a different form, a different shape, a longevity or a better colour. Or fragrance. Or fragrance. Let's go into the different types. It really, as you say, it really doesn't matter what they are, but just for the point of this little talk about lilies, let's start with the um, Asiatic lilies because they're very strong and tough, aren't they? And, you know, when, as with all lilies, when you plant them in the garden, they just stay undisturbed for years and years. You don't have to dig them up. 
and they they get bigger and bigger, the clump increases in size, so you get more and more flowers from each clump. So these Asiatics, they're, they're good for a cutting garden. If you've got space in your plot for a, a cutting garden, uh, I think the Asic lilies are, are, are great there. We actually use one of our vegetable garden beds, or maybe even a couple at certain times of the year to grow flowers. And lilies are certainly one of them. Poppies, we've planted the Iceland poppies in another bed. Uh, ranunculus and anemones we plant in our vegetable garden for cutting flowers. They all bring in the bees too. And the, the bonus with having bees there for the flowers is that it's going to help you in your, uh, with your veggie growing. Those that produce fruit like tomatoes and the like, it's always handy to have extra bees around. Good point. Now, the Asiatics, they're not scented, that's the thing, but they do have very bright coloured flowers. The flowers themselves are slightly smaller and the flowers are also sort of upturning. A lot of lilies sort of have a pendulous flower, but the Asiatic lilies have an upturning flower. Uh, bright colours, as I say, reds, oranges, salmons, yellows, sort of peachy colours, and some dark, almost black. You know why those flowers sit upright? What I discovered this in Japan years ago is that they like to look at the flower, uh, down into the flower, and they want the flower to sort of look up at them. So uh, you're quite right. For a garden specimen, you want something that's tall, that's going to hang its flowers down so you can look at it from you know, a metre or two. But in Asia and in, in, uh, in parts of Europe, they want the flower to look up at you. Uh, so the breeding has changed the shape of the plants completely. So the Asiatics now, the flowers look up and they're bright and cheery and, as you say, very strong colours. So when you're planting them, make sure the soil is really well drained because all lilliums hate wet soil. They rot very freely. I think we should mention that the, the, the bulb is actually a bit like an open, loose onion. And if you look at an onion that's been sort of opened out with all of its scales, it catches water and all those scales are pointing upright so that if you overwater, they very easily rot. So yeah, well-drained soil, essential. That's why um, I'll tell you a little, a little bit later, we'll give you some tips about growing them, but I like to bed them in some grit or some... Uh, even sand. Coarse river sand, yeah. Yeah, so that the, when, when it rains for days on end, the water will actually drain away and not rot them. But let's just mention here that the roots like to stay cool, the tops like the sun, but the roots definitely need to be cool. So a good point to remember. And when you cut the flowers, like if you're growing them in for, for cutting, just make sure you don't cut all the stem with the flower. Leave at least two thirds if you can, because that's what feeds the bulb and provides the uh, energy for really for next year's flower. Yeah, that's why I think they're often just better left in the garden or left in pots and then, then you, the, the bulb is not stressed at all and all that energy when the flower finishes, it, as, as you say, goes, goes back into building the bulb up again. But we've got some real favourites in the Asiatics. The black one, the almost black, is called Black Charm. It's a very beautiful lily, really sort of sophisticated. Lovely if it's got a sort of a white wall because if you see it against a white wall, you, it really emphasises it. It's tall too, and it grows about over a metre. Sundew, it's a golden yellow double with a little hint of freckles on it, a pretty little thing, sundew. Navona is pure white, grows about 80 centimetres. 
Uh, some of them have been bred for pots. They're shorter. They only grow 40 centimetres. As you say, a lot of breeding's gone into these Asiatic lilies. And as you rightly say too, you can grow them in black plastic pots and then when they're ready to flower, you can bring that pot and put it into a pretty ornamental pot and put it at the front door, which is gorgeous. Or you can put the whole pot into the garden, pot, plant, lily and all, to, f- to fill a gap in the garden. Don't be tempted to take it out of the pot, just leave it in the black pot, it's quite happy and contained within that and its roots won't be disturbed. They don't particularly like disturbed roots either, so keep them all together. But if you can move them around like that, uh, indoors, outdoors, into an ornamental ceramic pot, uh, then you're getting the benefit of, uh, of the display. And then, of course, when they're finished in that black pot that you've put in the garden, you can just put it away out of sight until next year when you repot it, ready for its next flowering. Now, that there's a, we're still talking about Asiatics. We're going to have a break in a minute. But uh, the Pearl series has been an amazing, I believe, one of the best I love all the Pearl series. They've all got this lovely speckled nature. Um, and they're strong. Uh, they grow over a metre, 100, about 110. Are very good for cutting. So you can look for one called, well, Pearl Francis is uh, sort of crisp white. Pearl Lorraine is a warm pink red, very pretty colour. Pearl Melanie is bright yellow. Pearl Stacy is soft orange. But my absolute favourite, and I haven't been able to find it, I think everybody loves it, is Pearl Jessica. It's a really soft pink and it's got these gorgeous maroon speckles, freckles sort of all over it. I've got to say, with with Asiatics, um, the names that Sandra's just read out uh, to you are listed, they will change from supplier to supplier. And the reason for that is that uh, they're sourced from different parts around the world. They're sourced from within Australia. And quite often, the common varietal names uh, won't match from one supplier to another. So be aware, look for the flower, look for its performance. And if you're lucky to track down one of the Pearl Group, <laughs> good luck. We're just going to pause for a break. We'll be right back to talk about tiger lilies. The best garden in the street. Don't forget the sea salt. Tell everyone you meet. Don't forget the sea salt. Have a listen to your garden today. If plants could talk, this is what they'd say. Hey, Mum. Don't forget the sea salt. Hey, Dad. Don't forget the sea salt. Hey, you. Don't forget the sea salt. Everybody. Don't forget the sea salt. Okay, welcome back to the Garden Clinic Digs Deeper, and we're talking about liliums, uh, and now my old favourites as a child, the tiger lilies, but the, whilst you can still get the old ones, the new ones are so much bigger and better performers. They're vigorous and they're tough and prolific with these freckle flowers, which is why they call them tiger lilies. But they're lovely in pots and they're just fabulous to grow in the garden. And they're, as with most lilies, long-lived. The heirloom tiger lilies are really, really easy to grow. So if perhaps you're new to gardening, you might like to look for the the real old-fashioned heirloom tiger lilies. They've got these sort of pendulous, bright orange blossoms with these sort of almost dark brown freckles. And they spread and naturalise, especially if if they've got enough moisture. Yes, you get little bulbils developing on the stem 
after the flowers have finished. Good point. I'd forgotten that's really important. So plant them nice and deep so that the, the little bulbils on the stem as it develops can can break off. That's what's happened in our garden. We've got lots and lots of little bulbils from the tiger lily, the tiger babies that I planted. They won't flower the first year from those little bulbils. It's B-U-L-B-I-L-S. Um, but they will definitely develop into a, a small... Uh, loose corm and then uh, maybe the second or third year you'll start to get flowers but if you if you're clever and you see those little black or brown swellings at the bottom of the stems where the leaves join the stem and let them mature and then just gently flick them off you can grow them in a pot and then isolate them and keep them under control so that they don't disappear in the garden but getting back to the point they are beautiful flowers and the stems tend to have the flowers all the way up the stem, which is great. Uh, it's a different sort of look to the other lilliums. So there's a couple of lovely hybrids. There's one called Pink Giant, which is a gorgeous soft pink, just a little hint of salmon, and again the maroon freckles. They're absolutely divine. We planted that in the garden. And we did plant one called Tiger Babies. With our, I planted it with my roses. So I know where it is. When I planted it, I put a stake in it. <laughs> And then I put a label on the stake and then I put a little terracotta pot over the top so that I know exactly around that clump, around that stake, I've got them planted. Because when they all disappear underground, you really don't know where they are. So that little stake will just remind you, oh yes, that's where my lilies are, I mustn't dig there. Now, what about my original my original tiger lily. What about those fellows? Because there's, you can still get, surprisingly, a lot of old things disappear, but you can still get the old original orange tiger lily. Called Lanceofolium. Splendens. Yes, so it's really got a reflexed petal, hasn't it? So it hangs, it's very pendulous. The petals reflex right back. It's bright orange with these dark brown speckles. You'll, yeah, you'll see that you'll, you might remember them. If you ever look at a photograph of, of the old tiger lily, your grandmother would have had them. Without a doubt, everybody did. My grandmother did, and that's how I ended up with them. Everybody's grandmother grew them. Uh, and uh, the good thing is you can still get them today. But, of course, lilliums go back a long way. The first tiger lily was described by the famous Swedish botanist Carl Linnaeus, Carl uh, von Linn, changed his name three different times back in 1753. You have actually visited his garden in Uppsala in Sweden. Yeah, Uppsala, just north of um, Stockholm. Uh, we visited, it's a museum now, and the original garden is still there. It's really amazing. He was a great scientist, and he he created the naming system for plants. So it was yeah. fantastic to visit that garden. He named plants, diseases, insects, so many different parts of the natural world. Uh, Carl Linnaeus was responsible for coming up with that naming system. As we have names, uh, you know, first name, surname, first name and family name, he came up with a genus and species. So a very clever guy. I, I remember studying him as a, a young horticulturist, being fascinated with his uh, incredible skill at uh, identifying things. We'll put that on our bucket list. We will. I really would like to get to see his garden, even just to walk around where this genius lived. Now, there is another lily that we grow a lot of, and I absolutely love, which is the November lily. But it has a different name in different parts of Australia, Some I Some people call it 
Christmas lily, don't they? Yeah, it flowers a bit later in Victoria. Victorians call it Christmas lily. Uh, New South Wales, we call it November lily. It flowers in November. Uh, it's a very elegant, tall, white lily, but I think they've been, it's been widely hybridised, hasn't yes. it? Yes. Now, the big one that, we, that you planted in our garden last year, I think that was a new hybrid November lily, was it? Well, it's called um, Easter Morn. Right. It's an ori- I think it's an oriental lily. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Well, it looks like a November lily because there's a bloody big white flower on it. I check that. I got that from Van Diemen's. In fact, all these bulbs are available. Van Diemen's. They probably grow more bulbs than anybody in Australia down in uh, Tasmania on Table Cape there. If you ever get to Tasmania when the borders open, you might like to visit them. Um, and they do a lot of... Um, they do grow a lot of these lovely... Lilies. November lilies are really tough. Uh, you'll get them to last for a long, long time. So make sure you put them into a spot where they can stay permanently. Now, it might be uh, in a bit of light uh, shade or in full sun. I think the main aspect about tiger lilies, about uh, November lilies, is that the soil again needs to be well drained. But because they're very tall, often up to nearly two metres, they can be subject to a lot of wind damage. So uh, you you might have to stake them, but also put them in a protected spot with well-drained soil, and and I think you'll you'll then get to enjoy the flowers. Now, that reminds me about oriental lilies, which is next on our list. Uh, The orientals are also really tall, and they're the ones that I've planted down against our Morea hedge. So they grow, as you say, they can get to two metres, so I've put a stake in when I planted them. I planted five in each spot. I'll be giving you some little tips about that later. With a stake in the centre, a label on the stake, Easter Morn. I've got a couple of different varieties there. And a little terracotta pot over the label so that it doesn't fade or disappear. And then I know exactly year by year because they do, they, they flower. So these are the oriental lilies. They're big, they're bold, they're fragrant. The florists love them. They're the ones that you buy in the florist, the big, beautiful, fragrant lilies. And they're pretty easy to grow. Yeah, look, I think it is, it is very likely the gardener's go-to lily, not only because we, we see them in the florist, but in a garden, they're just sensational, so easy to grow. And that fragrance, and I think sometimes the purity of the white flower is just beyond reproach. You can't grow, you can't see anything that is just so exquisite in those, in those flowers, pure white and really stunning. And some of them, there's that lovely pink one called Stargazer, remember? That's a very, very popular variety. So there's lots of different oriental lilies. The Casablanca is the white. Yeah, Casablanca is the one that you see in the florists. Yeah. Well, pretty much so. And, and it's a stunning thing. I, I just love... And those beautiful tubular flower buds, and they just open up. Uh, yeah, you are, Look, when you're buying them, in, in a florist, by the way, buy them with the buds closed. Uh, and that way they won't get damaged going home in the car or in the train or in the bus, uh, and you'll get to enjoy the flowers uh, because they keep growing like tulips. They keep growing in the stem, and eventually the flower will completely open, giving you lots of display in a vase for a couple of weeks. In the garden, uh, you can watch the same performance happening. But when you do cut them and put them in a vase and they do open, it's good to cut those anthers off because they're full of pollen, and that pollen can be can mark your clothing. So just clip the, uh, the little... Uh, Do you remember remember uh, that florist that um, 
used to do a lot of display work with it years ago. She gave us a tip on how to get rid of pollen from your, oh, with from the your sticky clothing. Tape. With sticky tape. Yeah. So you, Albina. Yeah, Albina. You put the <laughs> sticky tape on and then carefully peel it back and it takes the pollen off your clothes because otherwise it will stain. It's got a really permanent stain uh, in the pollen and you'll never get it out of your clothes or from your, uh, your, your tablecloths and things like that. So we've sort of tried to describe all the different types of lilies. Uh, a short break now and we'll come back with some tips about growing them both in the garden and in pots. This, garden lovers, is the sound of bigger, more colourful roses blooming in your garden after a healthy diet of Rich Grow's Black Marvel Rose Food. Black Marvel's scientifically advanced formula contains fast-acting potash and iron to transform your rose garden into a symphony of colour. Welcome back to the Garden Clinic Digs Deeper podcast. Uh, this time we're talking about lilies and now it comes to where we just talk about some tips about how to grow lilies both in the garden and in pots. Look, I think one of the important things, uh, we did touch on it earlier, is that they really don't mind a bit of sunshine. But light shade is quite okay. Dense shade, uh, your bulbs won't mature over time and you, they won't grow, they won't be happy. So dense shade, I think it tends to, where you see the weedy form starting to appear. Uh, but in a bit of an area where they, the flowers can come up and rise into full sun, that's where they're going to look their best. The main thing is, I mentioned earlier about wind protection for the taller ones, definitely. Uh, and also remember that these bulbs are going to stay there. They're going to be left undisturbed. So don't put them where you like to, to be forced to dig them up later. Uh, that way you, you're just not getting the best out of the bulb over many years. So in a spot where that you, you can just leave them. They'll appear year after year. They're very reliable. They are perennial in that form. So bear that in mind where you choose to plant them. And definitely once they've died down completely, they'll disappear unless you've got a really good memory or you write it in a book or a little diary, which is always a good tip anyway to write things in a, and have a little plan and step it out and say, look, you know, five steps from the tree trunk or the footpath uh, is where the bulbs are planted. But even better still, put in a marker, put in a, a stake, a little label on it so that you can really uh, identify all year round where those bulbs are. Well, what we've done, uh, we've planted those lilies in... So when I planted them, was last year or the year before, uh, I planted them nice and deep because, as, as we say, they like to be planted quite deep into a bed of grit. Uh, I planted the five of them together, so I planted a group of five, so it was quite a big hole. I didn't dig five different holes. I put one big hole for the five of them. I put the central stake in the, in the centre with the label on the top and the little terracotta pot on it. And then I built a teepee around the edges to support those stems because they grow about two metres, as we mentioned. These The big orientals do grow tall. So I put those stakes in at that time and that just sort of stays there. And then the bulbs grew up 
They flowered magnificently and then they died back down. So don't be tempted to cut them or to cut the foliage until they've completely died back because all that nutrient goes back into the bulb for the next year's flowering. And then just almost now, they're just starting to emerge again for their summer flowering. I've noticed they're emerging. They actually will put on root growth in the middle of winter, which is really quite surprising. They appear very early uh, in spring, late winter, they'll start to come through the ground, but the roots have obviously started to move uh, and, and put on growth. So if you're thinking, if you have to move them for one reason or another, you need to get in fairly, in, fairly early in winter uh, if you really do have to move them. Remember, they're a scaly open bulb and they catch a lot of moisture that's draining through the soil. And that's why if you overwater them, they'll rot very quickly. And that's why we recommend planting them into a bed of sand or grit so that the water will drain away. So once you've planted those, say, five in one clump, they do need to be spaced, depending on the, on, on the type of bulb. So I, I planted mine about... 12 inches apart, I suppose, in, in a little circle. And uh, they did grow well. The tiger lilies are a bit smaller, so they may need... I, st- I still think probably you know, 12 inches apart is a good idea. And don't be afraid if you, when you buy them or if they arrive in mail order, if the shoots have already started to appear. That's quite okay, as long as they're not pushing out through the top of the, you know, the paper bag or the plastic bag. But still plant them if they've got shoots because they will grow... They may flower that year, but certainly they'll flower in future years. So if they have started to grow, don't worry. That's quite normal for lilies. That's a really good point. When you get, if you buy your lilies mail order, and most of us do, say from Van Diemen's, uh, they will arrive in a plastic bag, and it is really good to take them out of that plastic bag uh, before they get mouldy or fungusy. So out into the fresh open air and get them into the ground as soon as possible. We've mentioned grit a couple of times. It's not easy to buy. Uh, In fact, we've uh, searched high and low. Some of the hardware stores have a grit uh, and some of the garden centres will have a a gritty sort of material, which is very likely crushed seashells mixed with a bit of river sand, I suppose. No beach sand, of course, you know, with the salt. But um, it'll be a really coarse, well-training material. If you can't get hold of either of those, then maybe the tiny, tiny, small pea gravel, really small gravel, just a a bed of that at the bottom of the hole, just so the roots can go into a well-drained medium right from the beginning. Okay, so we're planting our bulbs, we're putting a stake with the marker so you know what variety it is. Always good to know what variety it is. And then we're backfilling with improved soil, so use if your own compost if you can. Um, so lovely improved soil where you plant those lilies. And then water them in gently with a dilute seaweed solution. Harvest is, is a good one, isn't it? Yep, any, any of the seaweeds are going to give you that settling in process. Um, like a tonic, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's just a bit of a tonic to get the roots going, get the plants settled down. And then when they shoot, they're very vulnerable to slugs and oh, snails. They will come from interstate to eat the tops. And the tragic thing is, and you see them coming spearing out of the ground like asparagus, and you think, oh, wow, this is great. If a slug or a snail or a rabbit or a kangaroo or anything eats or breaks off that top, that's it. If you've lost the top, you lose the flowers. So, so you must protect them. Sprinkle some pellets, and there's some very um, pet safe, pet friendly, yeah, pet the, friendly pellets. The, the pet friendly snail bait uh, normally contains iron, developed by Melbourne University back in the 80s. 
uh, and it's not metaldehyde. Metaldehyde is the one that is uh, really uh, dangerous for, for pets and lizards. Uh, any of the iron-based snail baits are safe. So when they come up year after year, when they emerge, that's the time to feed them. I make use my own compost. I enrich it with a sudden impact for roses or Seamungus, one of those lovely pelleted uh, products. I mix that through my compost. I put it around the uh, emerging uh, lilies as they shoot, the emerging shoots. Sort of like a ring, a ring of... A ring, exactly, around the edge. The snail pellets, as you mentioned. Um, Anything else we should mention? Don't overwater them. Look, I've got to stress this a couple of times. If you overwater them, either in the pots or in the garden, they will rot very easily. So just keep them just moist. So in pots, if you're growing them in pots, we, we like to use because of the, some of the potting mixes are very heavy and they do rot. So we like to use a really light potting mix. You can either mix some grit through a normal potting mix, a premium if, potting mix, yeah, couldn't you? One of, yes, adding some perlite or uh, one of those light... Vermiculite or something. Or vermiculite, just to lighten it up even more. Uh, you can always add the nutrition, but you can't make a heavy, heavy soil lighter yeah but uh, if you uh, uh, have some vermiculite or perlite in there in the pot that'll help uh, for drainage and then as we say you can keep them in a in a black plastic pot and then when they start to come into flower put them into a pretty ornamental pot on your courtyard your balcony at your front door where, wherever or you can put the black plastic pot direct into the ground Interesting. fill up a gap. Yeah, the gap fillers, they're great that way. Interestingly, they are like a lot of plants. They like a cool root run but a hot top. So don't let the pots get hot. That's a good point. Now feeding uh, potted lilies, um, a little bit of potash is really good. Uh, so I like Thrive for flowering plants for my... I, I use it for all my bulbs in pots. I've used it for my tulips. Um, I used it for my... Ranunculus and anemones. Yeah, anything with a bit of higher potash and lower nitrogen. So have a look at that NPK ratio. You'll need a bit of calcium and a bit of sulphur in the NPK ratio on the side of the pack. Uh, But with uh, the lilliums, try and get a lower nitrogen and a higher phosphorus and potassium. It doesn't really matter, does it, for the ones in the garden, but it really, I think the ones in pots... They're totally dependent on how you look after them. How you feed them. Now, of all the lilies, there's one that bushwalkers and and nature lovers and and people who go into our national parks will be screaming at us already, and that is uh, the lilium that you see, which is often confused with the November lily. It's not a November lily because it has a darker purple bud. So a purple but it's stripe, escaped from yes, gardens. It has escaped from gardens, and it's one that we have to accept that we've been responsible for as gardeners introducing. It's come from uh, Formosa or Taiwan. It's Lilium formosanum. Now, it was very popular in the, in the 50s and 60s when I was a kid, but it is very weedy. And the reason it's so weedy, it every flower produces a flower pod that's at least a handspan long and has about 200 seeds in it and every seed is viable. So and it's naturalised right through southeast Australia, southeastern Australia. And if nothing else, if you're bushwalking and you see them in flower, just break the heads off. 
I think we've covered lilies pretty much from top to toe. Thanks for joining us for this um, Garden Clinic Digs Deeper podcast about lilies, and I hope we've encouraged you to try them. Remember, Van Diemen's Quality Bulbs. Go online, have a look at them. You will need to be quick because the popular ones sell out quickly, but now from really right through August is the month to plant lilies. And unlike when I was a kid, there are now liliums for every season. There are some you can plant in autumn and some you can plant in spring. The, the whole lilium season is now a 12-month long process. So when you're seeing liliums coming into the market, into the uh, catalogues and into the garden centres, that's the time to plant them. Thanks for joining us. Go safely.